Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. So, unfortunately, I had to be on a plane recently. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, And, you know, you... The things that, you know, you really miss about traveling is you really do get to see that slice of life type of stuff. I'm sitting in the airport terminal, right? Minding my own business, sitting really far away from everyone else, just, you know, scrolling through my phone. Um. And some guy comes walking down the walkway in the airport past my gate, and he's just very not upset, not like frantically, just kind of matter of factly, but I cannot emphasize this enough, very loudly saying, so my sister was murdered by her boyfriend? But, uh, oh, on the one hand, it was like, it was just so conversational just with the guy he was walking with. Like, maybe that guy had brought something up about, like, like, it was almost like to make it, it was said in a way that, like, the guy next to him had told him the same thing. Is like, right. can you believe my sister was murdered by her boyfriend? What? My sister was murdered by her boyfriend. It certainly wasn't me. I wasn't there. The boyfriend murdered her right that's yeah. suspicious mm-hmm. yeah just things that you overhear in uh you know boston uh logan airport i guess why did they feel the need to announce that are they trying to like hide their tracks i have no idea i mean the boston airport's a huh. little weird just because you know as you walk through it they have like all of the great like accomplishments uh done by you know, famous Bostonians and Massachusetts. Yeah. Mass holes, actually. Oh. It's confusing because the Massachusetts were a tribe. Oh. So I guess... I, I don't know if it's correct to use that to describe people from Massachusetts... Right, probably not. I, I'm probably gonna not. I'm gonna so we'll probably just not. call we'll call them mass holes. Yeah, I feel like that's better. So it's just a <laughs> list of different accomplishments, and you know, so a lot of them are like you know, like medical advances, right? And it's like yeah. flipping through them, and they're from different centuries and stuff. And you know, it's like the first successful transplant of this, this breakthrough cancer treatment. And then it's flipping through them, and one of them is like so and so invents this. A revolutionary whale harpoon and it's like oh. i get it that that was important to industry but that's a weird brag in an era where hunting whales is very not okay yeah i guess they were like that's fine we'll just leave it in yeah i mean i get it you know that's like you know that's that's the nantucket sleigh ride that's the uh yeah was that was there much whaling out of new jersey i don't know I don't hmm. think so. There's not many. Well, may, I'm going to say 
Probably. Because mm. I don't actually know. And I was about to say that there's no whales, but if you go to Cape May, there are off the coast. Mm. So we, I think yeah, it was like just, a northeastern just... thing, primarily. Mm, okay. So, well, you can tell by the way the whales pronounce water. If they say water, right. you know, you got a New Jersey whale. There you go. Yeah, exactly. You got a South Jersey Specifically, whale. Specifically, yeah. That South Jersey yeah. whales. You got to watch out. They'll go in the Schuylkill River, water. too. Is that, is that actually how they sound? Water. Oh, see, there you go. That's from South Jersey. Water. Did I ever tell you about my irrational fear of whale noises? No. What? <laughs> I'm one of those only uh, select individuals who does not like whale noises, and in fact, they creep me out like crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, so like relaxing new age whale songs. That's not relaxing to you. You no. fall asleep to that. No, okay. not really. It's like. Well, that's kind of irritating on my end because it's just I don't really like new agey music, but for some weird reason I really like like ambient music. It's a whole thing. Hmm. We don't have do time you, to get into that. But uh, do you like do you like new wave music? I like new wave music. Yeah, of course. Wait, wouldn't new age whale music just be new wave music because it's from the ocean? Huh, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, there's there, what about whale step? Is that a thing? Yeah, it's dubstep uh, made from remixed whale noises. That's kind of dope. I feel like it's it's changed enough that it's fine. But see, mm. like, I can't, like, all I imagine, it's like being underwater can already be terrifying enough if you can't see what's going on. And then all of a sudden you hear just a loud, like, ooh, coming out. I'd freak out. Like, I couldn't do it. It's like, no, just <laughs> kill me now. This is it. I'm done. Like, I, I can't. You just ugh. don't like it because it sounds like it has a low pass filter on it. I guess, but it's like, it just, it makes me, it puts me in a fight or flight state. It's kind of like insect wings. Like, mm. I, I genuinely, if I hear like a fly go past my ear, real or fake, by the way, mm. which is a problem when working with Foley, um, I j immediately drop to the ground, like mm. to duck and cover. Like, it Maybe hurts my ears that bad. Maybe you like Florida then. I don't know, man. You're just going to see me walking around with like yeah. earmuffs or something. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. I, you know, because I've been... Di I I've I've been diving in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um and I did not see a whale while underwater. Hmm. Although I guess I did see a dolphin, which is a type of whale. Yeah. But anyway, I, I did not see any humpbacks while right. diving. Uh while underwater. But you can like feel oh. you could feel them. Like the, the the vibrations of the song, like in your chest, like what? if because they're kind of you know they're around the islands. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the wild thing about. I was it, gonna say like, yeah. Well, like it's funny because I love water, I love the ocean, love the beach. You know, mm -hmm. like it's one of my favorite places, and mm -hmm. I practically grew up going in the Mediterranean Sea. But I I have like I don't know like being underwater sometimes just makes me panic. It's like the glass shark phenomenon, like swimming in a pool. Where mm. you're like, you know, you think there's going to be something in the in your pool water, but there's not because it's a pool. But, right. you know, I don't know, man. It's that terrifying unknown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. One yeah. day I'll have to just go diving eventually. I wanted to be a scuba diver when I was younger. Mm. I really wanted to take scuba lessons. But unfortunately, uh, doing that in the Jersey Shore is insanely expensive. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't think about New Jersey for like coral reefs. Maybe there's like no. some shipwrecks. You will see um, um, nothing, I guess, because it's just hard to see in general, like off on the coast. You'd have to go pretty deep water, I guess. But then it's just like, yeah, nothing. 
unless you're i don't i don't know i've never been there so i just imagine blue i mean because like everywhere i go i see i i feel like i could be in montana and colorado and stuff and still see like the red and white dive flag so like but i mean i knew but like at least out west there's the great lakes which and there's wrecks you can dive on there right um i guess i don't know there must be shipwrecks to dive on up north i mean Um, probably yeah yeah now were those shipwrecks were they wrecked by the leviathan (laughs) Mm, maybe that is sort of a seg a half-hearted segue <laughs> into what we would like to talk about today at the Uncanny County Museum. We mm-hmm. are going to have an exhibit on the three uh main biblical monsters uh bow, bow, bow. or creatures, sort of gigantic creatures that are referenced in the uh in the bible mm-hmm. and sort of their uh their their lasting power into later mythology so we will be talking about the leviathan the king of the fishes <gasps> the ziz the king of the birds and the behemoth the king of the land animals so we mm. sort of have this land sea and air trinity type of thing right um but this is you know all coming from a uh, pre-Christian, and in some cases, probably pre-Judaism uh, mythology. Right, right. You know, like like all of these kinds of legends, if you follow the documentary hypothesis of the Bible, which is to say there were all of these books uh, of different uh, collected, you know, just sort of like a, a broad cultural group, living Mm -hmm. in uh the near east and middle east you know that sort of had these loosely connected mythologies and religions and they were you know polytheistic and then once there was a an idea of a, a jewish identity or an identity of the hebrews uh after um you know basically after uh conquest that is when you start to see the uh, solidification of the Bible, the editing of the Bible into one cohesive book, which in order to do so has to, you know, cut out the polytheistic parts and Mm -hmm. has to build a narrative of a Hebrew national identity. Right, right. And we're talking ancient world, you know, we're we're talking... uh, you know, this this isn't even Roman occupation yet, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, this is way, way, way before then. Yeah. Much earlier. And, but you do, the, the interesting thing that I, I find so fascinating is you do see hints of this, you know, mm-hmm. the other cultures that are supposed to be here, you know, um, Cain specifically, the, the myth of Cain, probably is more of a story to explain the existence of Canaanites, which, you know, we're, Mm. if you know anything about kind of Near Eastern mythology and, uh, or I should say history, because, you know, they were an actual people. Right. um, You know, I I think they even came up in our discussion on the Sea Peoples. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that that is another ancient civilization happening here. But it is possible that, you know, since Cain is 
sort of marked as this like enemy of humanity, it's probably because the ancient Hebrews were at war with the Canaanites. And they're like, well, where the hell did those people come from? Right. And since. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And since history tends to be written by victors, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, all those victors really just running around writing things down. I mean, I don't know if anybody would have named. I mean, what was when, when does the name Victor show up? Is that that? Do we have to wait for Russia to exist? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, H- history. History is written by the Shems. Oh, see, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, with with all of these tales, um, <laughs> animals. Oh, nice one. Yeah. With all of these tales, they are probably loosely connected um, to other Mm -hmm. kind of fantastical Mediterranean uh, mythologies and creation stories. You know, there's in the Bible, you know, there's that part right before, you know, it describes God destroying the earth uh, for the, you know, with the great flood and Noah's the only one that survives right right before that passage in Genesis starts there's a brief reference to all of these people that you know it's that part that's like and -and so-and-so begat uh Methuselah and -and so-and-so begat Enoch you know right yeah and that spot right there is where you can see the book of Enoch was edited out Oh, right. Exactly. That is the part in the Bible that says, and those were, you know, the great men of old and the and the the those were the old heroes, you know, right. This is this is supposed to be kind of this. It's just a brief part in the Bible, but it is just making this allusion to, yes, this is when all of the crazy uh the crazy uh heroic ancient heroes lived huh and and then humans become corrupted and god has to start over that's so wild to think about though yeah like you know like for me just wrapping my head around that rather quickly it's like Mm -hmm. you know that's ancient text that's already describing a more ancient text that happened as if it's dated like jesus that's Oh my God! That's oh kind no! Of wa- yeah, dude, no, not this yet. Is way before Jesus. Yeah, no, this is much, yeah. much. Probably <laughs> two thousand years earlier. Oh my! But yeah. still, it's it's crazy to think about that. That would well, have already been old. You know, it's that without giving too much credence to ancient aliens, people of which neither of us are fans. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's something so um, tantalizing about ancient civilizations making reference to other unknown ancient civilizations because we know the ancient egyptians went through several cultural iterations yes um and you know we can kind of see where they're getting certain artistic conventions from uh ancient sumeria and uh you know the the mesopotamian cultures we can see their influence uh from nubia um Mm -hmm. but they were you know but by the time the that what we think of as like 
you know, high, our concept at least, of high Egyptian society and influence, you know, the Sphinx was already incredibly old. Yeah. You know? In fact, yeah, and that's why people will be like, oh, it was made by aliens because it's dated older. And you're like, well, it was made by someone. You know, yeah. I don't think it's, that's, no one's discrediting that, but it's like, the yeah. who is the question, but also the fact that there could have been, you know, and there probably were actually just yeah. ancient people and people before, but that, that's such a, I don't know. It's almost, I, I quite it's almost like that. people want to live near a, uh, a river Delta when you live in <laughs> North Africa. Uh, yeah, that would be the most convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you know, there's this, the, the idea of like, well, if the Sphinx is thousands of years older than all of these other things and what was before them is like, well, it, you know, it probably wasn't, it wasn't probably like 10,000 BC where they had mammoths helping them build the pyramids. No, bit of an inaccurate movie on that one, but yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it is like sort of fun to just to 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 guess and right. i i think this even goes all the way back to our first exhibit we talked a little bit about this but especially the noah story seems to share a lot of literary dna with the epic of gilgamesh yes um so you can see that these mesopotamian cultures all seem to be evolving out of some even more mm-hmm. uh ancient culture that we you know, if, you know, if even, uh, we, we don't really even have a way of knowing if like, was that before written language, you know, cause so much of this yeah. stuff was, was oral tradition before it was ever written down. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, cause that's that, that's that connection of the, um, of the flood, right. Yes. Of the great flood that kind of is woven throughout multiple different cultures stretching all the mm-hmm. way to India, I believe. Um, yeah, which is really it's actually, you know, really yeah. interesting to think about in that way of how much all of these things are connected. And in fact, I think when discussing these beasts of the land, sea and air, we'll see how much they're really connected through both history and cultures that I think participate in creating this more central version that we have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think one more kind of disclaimer about this before we kind of get mm-hmm. into it is what. We we want to be very careful talking about these creatures and as we are going to speculate as to what exactly they were, what they represented. There is the temptation to put sort of a creationist lens on this, you know, because yeah. creationists for a long time, you know, they will use that, you know, the, the, the confirmation of all the different cultures that there was a great flood as... Oh well, I guess there was a great flood, and it in made fact, the yeah. Grand Canyon, and that, you know, oh. <laughs> I didn't know that one, but okay. Yeah, no, there's, I mean, there, there's so much stuff. Like after the discovery of the Americas, there was so much that you know Europeans tried to fit the their the biblical history to this continent that is not you know mentioned, right? You know, <laughs> eventually, culminating in one Joseph Smith. <laughs> yeah who, who worked really hard to incorporate uh christianity into the the mythology of america but yeah. that's maybe a discussion for another day right right um but yes we're going to talk about these things and these ancient references but 
you know, any anybody joining us, let's just, you know, put that on the table. We are not advocating for young earth creationism. No, uh, <laughs> not at all. Or or anything like that. But let's let's have some fun. Let's play in the space. Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So speaking of having some fun. Lo, let that night be desolate. Let no joy voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. I seen Leviathan chief. You ever seen the Leviathan's eyes? He's about to bite you. His eyes roll back. They turn white like a doll's eyes. I'm I'm starting to uh, paraphrase, but that's <laughs> <laughs> um so that is a reading from uh, the mm. book of Joe. Yeah, I love that voice you got going on there, too. It really, really transformed the experience. <laughs> I felt like I was actually there. <laughs> Could you imagine if you had a Bible study led by Quint from Jaws? <laughs> kind of amazing. It'd be more <laughs> fun. That's what, that's all what Christianity the, all those, needs. All those kids who are like so bored out of their mind and then a, basically a pirate comes in and scratches his nails on the chalkboard. <laughs> you know, if my vacation Bible school I got tricked into going had that, I probably would have liked it a lot more. <laughs> you got tricked in? Yeah, because no, my mom didn't know what it was. Because remember, like, it's, she didn't know anything about, like, the, that, she thought it'd just be, like, a summer camp to get kids out of the house, you know, and you go mm. to, like, the local school, and it was a, it was, because it was, like, a family friend of ours would go, because their kids would go, so they're like, you guys should come, and they were like, yeah, yeah go ahead, and, you know, then you're getting uh, manipulated, but I'm too dense, so that didn't work out for them. Well, um, <laughs> I mean, similarly, um, my parents had this couple that would babysit me when I was mm. very, very little, and they loved me. They apparently were great with me. My parents loved them. They all got along. But they were very bent on getting my parents to baptize me. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. So they were like, you know, uh, you know, I was like going to my Jewish day school, like, you know, preschool or whatever. Right, right. And they were like sneaking me Christian toys. Oh, my God. Like. You know, I think the final straw of it, and I kind of never saw them again, was like they gave me like a toy rosary or something. What? Yeah, and my dad was like, okay, no, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah, rightfully so, I'm going to say. (laughs) But I always won. It wasn't until hearing the story as an adult, I always wondered where my VeggieTales tapes were because it wasn't until middle school that I looked back because in middle school, I got put into like uh, into a, a Christian middle school, you know? Right. But it was like, you know, one of those Christian middle schools where like there's some brand, not uh, indiscreet, indescript brand of Protestantism. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, a good percentage of the student body is Jewish and Greek Orthodox. So huh. they kind of have to have a everybody play nice attitude. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But basically I remember sitting in chapel and realizing that I, I, I remember the realization of, Oh wait, veggie tales was religious. Yeah. I feel that I, I, yeah. I don't know. Again, I think maybe because it based itself a lot more in Old Testament. 
and that was where the fun ones that I felt like you it, know, those like, were definitely the more wild stories, I think, you know. Well, the, the Jonah and the stuff. whale was such a cinematic experience, let's be honest. <laughs> the pirates who don't do anything. Great branding. <laughs> I will say this. <laughs> really I good still, branding. I do not fully remember the story of Joshua and Jericho because it is muddled by <laughs> Larry the Cucumber as <laughs> <Yeah>. Joshua. <laughs> Um, getting slushies dropped on their heads by Amazing. those French peas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I feel like that might have backfired on the, uh, the act, act, uh, what do you call that? Actual retelling of the events. But you know what? Much more mm. fun. That's what the Bible really needed. Vegetables. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't <laughs> see VeggieTales again until I was a counselor at a Presbyterian summer camp. Oh. Yeah. Cool. That was the one yeah. where the chef uh the the camp cook thought i was a jewish spy uh, oh yeah oh yeah Jesus. yeah she she told my co-workers um i think zan is more jewish than he's letting on uh <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay Jesus kim christ uh yeah. yeah um don't worry she was wrong about a lot of things clearly um, <laughs> So, uh, anyways, so, but yes, this, uh, this passage from Job and many other passages in Job describe the Leviathan. Now, Joe, what do you know about the Leviathan? Well, I know it's supposedly a big sea monster, Mm -hmm. um, serpent-like, and it lives in the sea, question mark? That's about what I've heard. I also know about the book leviathan which has nothing to do with this right and we also know author david leviathan Mm. author of every day a book that um i was lent by a girl who sat in front of me in math class i thought i read the whole thing thinking she was flirting with me asked her out and she said no oh so that's yeah so you know beware of pretty girls you know getting you to read uh ya novels you know what's funny that happened to me with will grayson will grayson except i did not follow through (laughs) yeah ironically (laughs) i mean also the thing with will grayson will grayson i thought neutral milk hotel was a made-up band for that book (laughs) really yeah (laughs) see what's funny is though like there i have it the other way because I found mm. out that Neutral Milk Hotel was real, and that's, in fact, how I found out about them. But then I, there's another band. I don't remember what they're called. Something Dead Kittens, I think. I don't remember. Are in the um, in the book, and I thought they were real. So when oh. I went to buy my like CDs, because that's what I used to do for music, mm-hmm. um, yeah. as we all did, I guess, I... You found this yeah. band that was something I think it sounded similar, and I was like, "That has to be the them from Will Grayson, Will Grayson, because Neutral Milk Hotel was real, so practically <laughs> this would be too." And they weren't the same band; it was a completely different like pop punk metal sl- slash other genre band, and it was bad. So I have that on my iTunes account now, and I don't know what to hmm. do about it. But yeah, we, we are we're having a really hard time just getting to start talking about this. So let's let's try a little harder. Um, so yeah, the Leviathan is. Uh, if you are, if you haven't encountered it before, is not only sort of this ancient sea monster, it's also kind of a metaphor for, uh, in certain parts of the Bible, 
it is used literally as this is a sea monster. Um, right. If descriptions uh, are a little different, you know, sometimes it's mul- it has multiple heads. Um, sometimes it's described as a whale. Sometimes it is described as the monster that swallowed Jonah. Sometimes oh. it is. Sometimes it is the monster that ate the whale that Jonah was eaten by. Oh, that's a part of the story. Yeah, I mean, oh. there's well, there's all not there's all you, you have to remember all of this other stuff is like there's the biblical text, you know, that exists within Jewish mythology, and then right. you know by by extension later Christian and Islam mythology, mm-hmm. but. There's also that extra layer of Jewish mysticism on top of it. Like, all of these creatures are kind of referenced in some form or another in the additional texts that, you know, like the Midrash and, and you know, the mystical novel, the Zohar. Right. But in those cases, the Leviathan might stand in for other things. The Leviathan can be sort of a symbol of israel's enemies um Mm. and quite often it's mentioned like you know the people of israel eat the flesh of the leviathan and this is sort of seen as a metaphor for being victorious not that they literally ate the monster but that you know consuming its flesh is kind of a, a gift from god and you know, it also might hint at the more ancient Jewish practice of sacrifice, mm. which was a part of Judaism for a long time and then was, you know, phased out. Uh, but there are still kind of references to it. And, you know, the, the Leviathan is also kind of like this uh, this thing that is sort of lying in wait, lurking, waiting to bring about or waiting to play a part in the end times. Uh, you know, whether it's a giant fish or a sea serpent or a whale, even it's just supposed to be this um, feminine destroyer, really. Huh. You know, it is. It, we'll get to the behemoth in a moment, but it's kind of the, you know, the inverse of the behemoth, you know, right. A, a creature of nobility and, uh, you know, dominion over the earth. The Leviathan is the is the feminine destroyer. Hmm. But interestingly enough, to add another layer onto it, there is a description that says it has ray fins. You know, ray. Uh, you know, uh, like the fins like a fish which huh. would make it kosher. So there is actually also another writing <laughs> oh. that that claims that if we were to catch a leviathan, we are allowed to eat it. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- this is real this is really, you know, <laughs> you know, the thing that I always imagine with anybody exploring the ancient world, you know, just like you you have to sort of check with somebody if you're allowed to eat it. I know there's the story of like you know the uh the spanish explorers in the amazon writing to the pope is it okay to eat capybara oh wow you know and or is it okay to eat capybara uh on lent or whatever and right 
the them deciding does it swim and they're like yeah and they're like okay you can eat it on fridays <laughs> so the capybara okay. according to the catholic church is a fish not the world's largest rodent but it does swim guess it counts guess it counts um but yeah you know it, it even though it sort of fluctuates between being a sea serpent, a dragon in certain imageries, uh, a hydra, a whale, it still sort of plays into this maybe more ancient idea of a giant uh, serpent of supremacy, of you know? Right. Some, something that sort of holds the balance of destruction against creation. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting because I know like the word uh, from Leviathan or the word of Leviathan comes from a couple different, I think language groupings, including Hebrew, of course, but then it, it references that like uh, of a coiled snake. If I'm not, hmm. if I'm not uh, mistaken and so kind of emphasizing this, this serpent form that you're talking about, but you know, in, in my initial recognition now, it, it's weirdly similar to the idea of Jormungandr from Norse mythology. Jormungandr. Jormungandr. Yeah. I think that's the uh, official pronunciation, but my Norse is not great. So, um, <laughs> but you know, the idea of the world serpent, essentially something stretching across the globe or the Ouroboros, these myths that, and these ideas that kind of keep cycling. Mm -hmm. But I find that similarity rather interesting. But also, like, because for me, like, Leviathan as a word always meant giant. I never thought of it as the, the, the serpent. Or I never thought mm. of it as something um, in, the, in the sea, to be honest, because it's just not my... You know, when I think Leviathan, I think giants. But then also this... Well, one, Jormungandr is, is a giant, which I also think is interesting. But two, this, this yeah. idea of a giant... Some, something giant but it doesn't have to be an actual real life creature it can also be an idea it can be the victory it can be a stand-in yeah. for something else is really fascinating because i also think like one of those um those parts to break down as well is that not everything in in both mythology and biblical texts have to be taken as literal oh yeah right which i feel like because like i know like when we you know we you um it pretty much preface that we're not going to really cater to the idea of creationists ideas with this, because I know there's a really quick use of, I think a, using like a plesiosaur or another type of, um, you know, dinosaur to kind of excuse that the Leviathan existed with people. I'm sorry. So long, I'm right? sorry. Did you, did you just it's, refer to a plesiosaur as a type of dinosaur? Oh, I said, I don't know. I'm not a paleontologist. Boys, take the shot. Take the shot. No, <laughs> is it not? <laughs> Help me. Zap him. <laughs> Joe, we're going to have to put a shot collar around you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's what happens. In, is that what happened in, when you were studying paleontology? If somebody got it wrong, they would immediately um, put you under arrest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I'm, uh, there is totally like that impulse to say like, well, this could be describing a mosasaur or a plesiosaur, you know, some type of ancient marine reptile. Um, but, you know, you could have have you ever seen like, you know, those. Those pictures of like when a kind of half eaten whale carcass washes up mm. and, you know, if you didn't 
know if you had never seen a living whale and like essentially an enormous enormously long spine washes up and it's attached to a head full of teeth if it's a toothed whale right you know imagine seeing this huge head and this long long spine wash up on shore you've never been far out to sea or something like the, I think that's a pretty valid, I a more valid idea as to where those stories could have even started. Because right. how would they know that you know the whale has, you know, even if even if the flippers are intact, like, you know, how are you supposed to know what a whale is? Yeah, exactly. You know, there there do seem to be these things that can describe what's happening with maybe the origin of the myth because. I think if we're looking at things as sort of stages, if if we want to look at civilization as a compounding, you know, weaving together all of these things that all, all of this collected knowledge, trying to build a society on some type of foundational myth. Uh-huh. You're going to get these different stories, but then I feel like that's where the Leviathan and its description also becomes a symbol even more than uh it being a literal creature because yeah the 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 bible sort of i think in in defense of it makes it pretty clear that certain parts are meant to be taken metaphorically Uh uh-huh because it's deliberately either disturbing or something that you would not encounter. And I feel like ancient people were sophisticated enough to understand that. Like, gotcha, it's gotcha. not just a, it's not just a new invention that we think it's like messed up that like Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. Like people even in ancient times were like, Whoa, hang on there. <laughs> You know, God told you to sacrifice your son. God said, do what? You know, Mm. it's the (laughs) Clint Eastwood talking to the chair at the Republican (laughs) National Convention. You want me to what myself? I can't do that. (laughs) I have President Obama here. We're going to sell you Chryslers. It's a pretty good Clint Eastwood impression. Thanks. Yeah, there's... You know, because the Leviathan is also described as having, you know, magical powers as well. Oh, interesting. If you will, Uh I can read a uh, passage, another passage from Job describing it more in detail. Yeah, let's do it. Behold, dear chief, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath given me anything beforehand that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Who I keep silence concerning his boastings, or his proud talk, or his fair array of words. Who can uncover the face of his garment? Who shall come with his double bridle? 
Who can open the doors of his face? Round about his teeth is terror. His scales are his pride. Shut up together with, as with a close seal. One is so near to another. There is no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches, and sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils go smoke, as out of his seethings put and burn and rushes. His breath kindleth coals, and his flame goeth out of his mouth. In his neck abideth strength, and dismay danceth before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm upon him, they cannot be moved. His heart is firm as a stone, yea, firm as the nether millstone chief. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. By reason of despair, they are beside themselves. If one lay at him with the sword, it will not hold. Nor the spear, the dart, nor the pointed shaft. He esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The arrows cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Clubs are accounted as stubble. I like that he, you know, makes sure that we know that, that clubs are also there. Of course. Yeah, you know, he's, he's making... This is a, it's a giant fire-breathing snake. Yeah. I guess, in, in sort of this. And, so you know, he's, he's, he's describing the way that the, the teeth shut and his scales, that I think mm. is what it means by flakes in this particular tran, uh, translation. Ah, okay, that would make a lot but of yeah, sense. But yeah, just, you know, it has impenetrable scales, it has yeah. teeth and a mouth that shut tight and seal you in. Right, right. Sharpest potsherds are under him. He spreadeth the threshing sledge upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a seething mixture. He maketh the path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is nothing his like. Who is made to be fearless? He looketh at all high things. He is the king over all the proud beasts. I'm never going back in the water again, chief. I'm, I might have paraphrased that just a little bit. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Wow, I mean, it really tells you what weapon you should or shouldn't use on yeah. the Leviathan when you're going to go. Yeah, that, that I do kind of like the... I like the weird practicality that the Bible <laughs> yeah. sometimes has. It's like, <laughs> yeah. now don't try to stab it. Yeah, you're going to want to go for that um, that blunt damage or even a slashing yeah. damage with a bit of a buff before you take this on. Yeah. I mean, all joking aside, it is a very, you know, it does conjure an image of a swirling, you know, oh, yeah. sea like churning up this monster, you know? Yeah, something I absolutely would never want to see ever. You know, yes. like it sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I guess, I, I guess we can imagine this is like the uh, vacation Bible school version mm. of uh, of Jaws. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, but it, well, but it, but it's called Laws. 
Oh, that's fun. Uh, uh. Although, no, technically this is Job. This is not in Laws. Oh. Uh, that joke almost worked. So Job's? Here's oh Job's God, it was right there. Job's God damn it. Ugh Job's Ugh How dare you be funnier than me? Hi there, my name is Colby White and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. Here's the thing about the Bible. It's crazy. Have you read this thing? I skimmed it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I... uh, for for this in particular, I got my dad's uh old Bible here. Uh and it is, you know, it's it's from the 70s. You know, I, I was I'm flipping through the beginning and it like has that thing like um if if you ever get like a series of books that has like, you know, like like children's books that have like right. you know, 20 titles <laughs> all at the beginning. It kind of feels like that when you open it up and it's like if you like this, try these other titles. <laughs> You know, right. Exactly. It's like you've got Exodus. Have you read Isaiah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I, I it, it was at that point that I was really glad that I had uh, the box set here. Right. Absolutely. You need it because you're going to start going once you read one. You got to read them all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because if, if there's one thing the Bible's good at, it's consistency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, please don't send us hate mail. Actually, you know what? We would love to read your thoughts on our biblical scholarship. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, please. Please write to us. So, yes, this is the Leviathan. Mm. And, you know, it shows up in multiple places. It shows up, you know, in, uh, as a, uh, as as like i was saying before as sort of a counterpoint to the behemoth which sort of has the more male energy it's sort of part of this idea of like the ancient earth being just lousy with monsters everywhere you know so a real a real kaiju problem yeah you know it really is sort of the beginning of the movie hercules where the titans are going around everywhere oh true yeah and then along came zeus he hurled his thunderbolts you know right um but it's it's so fascinating for ancient peoples that like they do have they all sort of account for yes there was some ancient heroic time let me tell you a tale you know Mm, type of stuff because in Judaism, uh, you know, there's there's Jubilees and the Book of Enoch that go a little bit more into depth of this period. Um, and if you are a a subscriber to like you know a a UF a, a UFO ancient aliens type of thing, that's sort of where the idea of the Watchers comes from. Because right. there's a description of you know these basically these uh these angels that are giants that watch over humanity and at one point even interbreed with humans hmm. 
and you know their their children are you know super strong race of people and all that stuff like there's you know like like the the other thing is like you're like there's there's even versions of the stories that like you know these are the monsters living outside of eden you know that's interesting just hinting at this sort of world building this is really the uh, the, the silmarillion of the bible ah there you go of course yeah, I have to put it in terms you can understand, yeah? Yeah, th- no, I really appreciate it. Thank you, that helps narrow it yeah, down yeah, a yeah. lot for me. <laughs> <laughs> I look like you could grab it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, the, then this does show up in later writings like Midrash and Talmud. There's, the, the, it, uh, it, it becomes a, a cultural touchstone. It will right. show up in art and it will show up in um in, in in later writings and storytelling it is just it is one of the go-to monsters definitely yeah now this uh this sort of brings us to the second monster in this trinity the ziz mm. so if the if the leviathan is you know the the ocean monster the ziz is the monster of the sky and air you know ah okay yeah and you know there's there's all sorts of descriptions of giant birds you know that like come out of the sky and like attack towns and animals and stuff like this is not specific to Judaism in fact you know there's a lot of connections drawn between the ziz and uh the anzu in uh mythology right uh even some connections to the phoenix which is i believe originally from egypt in in mythology you know and this one is definitely the least popular of these three (laughs) yeah i've definitely never heard of it so and if my opinion is is the base here Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. it's (laughs) yeah it's um it's it's the uh i don't know if if i'm trying to think of things of three if they were if they were the police (laughs) if they were the police maybe uh maybe the ziz is uh the drummer i don't know um analogy (laughs) i don't know where this where this analogy is going but it's also portrayed as very Griffin-like, which is interesting oh, um, in okay. some depictions. Because the eagle has... The birds of prey have a huge significance in ancient, um, in ancient human civilizations and stuff. You know, there's... Even if you, like, look at Arabian Nights, Sinbad encounters a rock, which is a, you know, an enormous bird, an enormous eagle, right. kind of, or vulture-like bird of prey. Um, so there, there does seem to be some sort of precedent of ancient peoples imagining a giant bird. Now, there is a, a hypothesis, I won't quite say theory, but there is an, this idea that the griffin itself comes from ancient peoples uncovering the bones of ancient ceratopsian dinosaurs which could be like a protoceratops which the geography doesn't entirely make sense to me because protoceratopses are from mongolia but they could have theoretically been trading with the east at this point 
But basically the idea is the Protoceratops is a lion-sized dinosaur. It is a quadruped, but it has a huge beak uh, on its face. So you have an animal that is feasibly a a quadruped with a bird head. Right. And I don't know if there is much else to support this other than, you know, just trying to imagine the... A, a really worn down skeleton some person is you know coming across and then you know they tell the story to someone else who tells it to someone else right and then you have a griffin but the other interesting thing is that because the ziz you know is depending on which translation of the bible you have may not be there the ziz is sometimes lost in translation as beasts Hmm. So there is a part in the by uh, there are at least two parts that are supposed to reference the ziz as um, preying on wild boar and you know holding dominion over the mountains, but depending on what translation you have, this might translate as beasts rather than the ziz. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing is the place of the griffin in Jewish mythology. Now, this is going forward a bit. This is after, you know, the exile from Israel. The Jews are, you know, living in Spain and Germany and during the Middle Ages, among other places. But there is a fairly recently described uh, Jewish illuminated manuscript, which is incredibly, incredibly odd since... Uh, Jews typically were not into graven imagery. Mm-hmm. You know, illuminated manuscripts would have been much more into calligraphy, you know? Um, right, right. You know, similar to Islam. But it depicts, um, like, griffin-human hybrids making matzah for Passover. And huh. it's been speculated that the griffin was chosen as a symbol the lion to represent uh, Judaism or to, to represent Jewish heritage as, you know, sort of the, the symbol of the, the ancient uh, Jewish kingdom. And then the eagle to represent Germany because they would have right. thought of these, these sort of, you know, medieval Ashkenazi Jews would have thought of themselves as, you know, Germans and Jews simultaneously. Right, right, and would have been able to represent themselves not directly because that would not have been allowed or would not have been a convention of theirs, but using the griffin to do that. Now, I don't know how much this connects to the ziz, but um, you know, it it is just kind of interesting, especially because the ziz almost seems kind of like an afterthought in comparison to the other two monsters, which are mentioned so much more. Right. Of um, course. The Ziz, the Ziz kind of feels like set dressing. It's like, Oh, and there's also this monstrous bird that can, you know, uh, flatten towns with its wings and lives in the mountains and eats wild boar. And it's also there sometimes, but yeah. that's who's <laughs> in charge. If the Leviathan's in charge of the ocean, who's in charge of the sky? Right, you need something. You need that balance. Yeah, you know, we really want to set up some administration here. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I now do you had you encountered anything about the Ziz before? Nope. 
not until mm. this tour. This was definitely something I was not familiar with. The Behemoth, yes, and the Leviathan, yes, but uh, the Ziz, not so much. I mean, I I know a bit, you know, like I know what a Griffin is, of course, and that history and this mythology based in flying creatures that can level towns without getting too far into like dragon lore and stuff, you know. But yeah, it's one that I've never quite heard or even had a thought of Mm -hmm. in this way but there is um i think we might have talked about it on a tour as well wasn't there this whole thing too of like birds that would or like birds of prey specifically that would like steal i I don't think it was kids but i can't remember like that's happened though in the ancient world there's the there's the greek story of zeus and ganymede where zeus turns into an eagle and uh abducts the child ganymede the the young boy right to be like his uh his cupbearer in um at, on Mount Olympus or whatever, right? To you know be his little boy toy because you know the, the the Greeks were all into that. Yeah, but the uh, yeah, I I am definitely also into that idea that the the reverence and fear of large birds of prey that would have you know been. Uh, been a legitimate threat to early humans and especially young children. Right. I think the thing to also remember is, you know, because this plays into other mythologies, but the prevalence of birds as, um, you know, as as a connection to death, uh, especially, you know, if you imagine, like, if if there's ever a battle or something and, you know, there's bodies lying out in the field somewhere, who's the first to show up? It's going to be birds, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. So there's certainly a, um, there's certainly, like, a a fear element, uh, that, that comes with birds of prey. Um, and... I I would be so much more curious to find more written about the Ziz. There is a book I've been meaning to get my hands on um, in particular. Uh, and hopefully we can revisit this. But, you For know, sure. the, the Ziz seems to exist in a more mythological realm. It does not seem to play as big of a part in the Bible other than it shows up and God is in charge of it, but it is in charge of the air gotcha okay yeah huh very interesting you know there's there's a story of like you know the the ziz uh, the the egg of a ziz could break and the yoke would flood cities jesus big bird you know yeah and it, it it seems to be more of like this you know sort of sort of like a a, a kind of monstrous explanation to natural disasters more than sort of right. the symbology of the Leviathan or the significance of the behemoth. The Ziz seems to be rooted in like kind of a more ancient idea of religion. Gotcha. Which as my, as my Latin teacher would say, you know, in like Greco Roman mythology, the, their, their their mythology is to answer how, not why. Mm, right. And I feel like you can see shadows of that in ancient religions like Judaism that, you know, are were texts 
more meant to explain how the world came to be before getting wrapped up in an idea of morality. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Very interesting, huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, but I, I could, you know, I, I do wonder if anybody's ever tried to make a connection between all of the, you know, abduction and giant bird mythologies of the mm-hmm. Mediterranean, because, you know, yeah. it, it feels like they must be connected on some level. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be curious to see if there's mm-hmm. any further research mm-hmm. on that. Maybe something to look into. Yeah, the Ziz also definitely has the silliest name of the three of them. Yeah, it does. It kind of reminds me of a Pokemon. It kind of does, but definitely one of the Pokemon that they added on when they were, you know, they had to fill a quota of adding another 150 Pokemon. <laughs> right. So they were like, uh, 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 Ziz. All right, Ziz. That works. And then yeah. they threw that in You there. know, I was even in my Zohar class with my, my professor, who's a rabbi, who is incredibly knowledgeable, knows so much about jewish mythology and mysticism and i asked him about the ziz and he's Mm. like what the heck is a ziz (laughs) so i think that should give you some idea of uh the the lack of yeah research that's gone into this right right exactly oh god yeah so this brings us to the third creature on our tour Mm. now this one i think we have even more speculation about to kind of add to this to muddy the waters and that is the behemoth Hmm. and the behemoth is an odd one to talk about because this one specifically is cited as a description of a dinosaur that would exist in the bible and is pointed to by creationists to support the idea that dinosaurs are described in the bible therefore you know, Bible must be real. Right, that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Um, You know, and I think they point to the stories of dragons that pretty much exist in every culture. Yeah. Um, And there's an an idea that goes around a lot that dragons are from ancient peoples discovering dinosaur bones, which, to my knowledge, might have happened sometimes, but more than likely, because dragons are typically like chimeras, you know, they're mixtures of different animals. Yeah. They seem more like they're misinterpreted descriptions of megafauna or yeah. the bones found of like Ice Age, Pleistocene, uh, megafauna. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people finding mammoth bones ancient camel bones uh ancient giraffe bones like things that would have had you know horns on their head but vaguely similar to animals that uh those ancient peoples would have encountered right right exactly yeah um so now the behemoth where where are you on the behemoth um so i've heard the behemoth in this case (laughs) to start as i guess that's the entry level in or the entryway in (laughs) you've Uh, heard of it i have heard so it's real yeah so this is right no no um but it's funny because like when i hear behemoth i think of like a tank for some weird Mm. reason i probably some war game i've played or like i think of like something you know like big bulky kind of like strong but not like or or as a description of something like that's a behemoth 
of a, of yeah. a whatever. Like I, I've never thought about it as an actual creature per se. I have mm -hmm. been playing Horizon Zero Dawn though, and there is a behemoth creature in that that it's yeah. called. So I guess now there's that to add to the table. But yeah, essentially it's big and it walks on land, and that can be from mm -hmm. a machine to some sort of uh, creature. And I've never heard of it in. Well, I mean, I have, I guess, in this kind of context of mythology, but not like I'm not I'm not like an expert by any means or even that knowledgeable on the topic. Um, but I find it fascinating in yeah. this way. And this also like when doing some, you know, research and digging into this, this this connection and also very strong difference, the the opposite of it being from the Leviathan mm -hmm. and even down to like yeah. gender, which I thought was rather interesting. Yeah, I, I think one thing to understand here is if you look into Jewish mysticism, there is things are very held things are very much held to what might read as a gender binary. There are things that happen and mystical processes that are considered feminine and then there are mystical processes that are considered masculine now the right. interesting thing about this if you uh look into it from a kabbalistic standpoint you know and you you look at the kabbalah which i barely understand the kabbalah is deliberately confusing and esoteric um as is a lot of Jewish mysticism, it was supposed to be deliberately, um, you know, you had to work at it, you know? Mm. And part of that is, you know, sort of the, the elitism of the ancient scholars. But the idea was if you put a lot of work into it, you would earn your kind of reward of your, of your contemplation. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, the, the people that would have, uh, practice Jewish mysticism would have been very familiar with this idea of the sefirot. Ba basically, it's a symbol that uh, you might be kind of familiar of. The, the, uh, it's basically kind of this leaf shape that contains uh, 10 circles. Now, in each of those 10 circles, it's sort of a description of the process of creation or uh, revelation. And it switches back and forth between masculine and feminine traits. Mm. Uh, mother, father, uh, son, daughter, uh, lovers. You know, it, it, it bounces between all of these things, some of which don't make at all of the sense in the world because sometimes it's uh, a sister and a brother and then they're lovers, but you, you can't... You, you you can't like start to think about it too literally gotcha. <laughs> for, okay. for lots of reasons. But basically there is an idea that the joining of these two things and the, the transfer of energy between these two things is basically how divine, the divine functions. Um, uh, okay. So there being a masculine and feminine counterpoint uh, to these monsters essentially does jive with a lot of Jewish mystical practices and ideas. Mm. You know, like the medieval Jews were very impressed with, 
you know, when they when they weren't being slaughtered by the Crusaders, um, they actually had a weird respect for them of their devotion to their faith. You know, it was mm. like it, it's it's very weird to read those accounts because these people are living just utterly repressed lives and are living under just just such dispassionate regimes uh yeah. to their plights uh in through different periods de- depending on what century it is but you know they're like still trying to find the silver lining they're like well at least they're committed oh my god you know i, mean, I guess yeah yeah <laughs> Jeez. yeah uh which i i guess is just you know that's uh that's that's part of the course for judaism i guess mm. um but one of the things that I asked my my professor, my Jewish mysticism professor, uh, is so why were there never Jewish monks? Mm. Basically, you know Good why question. why were in this period where it was you could you were almost supposed to shut yourself off, go walk in the orchard, which was a euphemism for you know studying. Uh, uh studying uh the torah and talmud like what are why were weren't there these people that thought oh well we must uh you know completely separate ourselves and not get married and not have families and my professor's response is because the joining of the masculine and feminine was seen as just vital to existence that Mm. that that itself was divine and that to separate humanity from sex and passion was a, a a denial of god interesting yeah so yeah yeah it's it's very interesting you know it's we'll say it's you know pretty heteronormative um but you know this is also the middle ages Secular society does not exist. We cannot stress that enough. Right. And also this this insistence that there is both divine uh, masculine and divine feminine power even muddies the water as to the gender of God uh, himself. Right. Yeah. So Hmm. the... This is just sort of a long way of saying is there is this precedent of um, opposed but also in line masculine and feminine energies in Jewish esoterica and mysticism. Gotcha. Okay. And I am not the expert on this. I'm not even entirely sure I'm explaining it correctly. <laughs> I, I'll <laughs> I'll dis I'll use that as a disclaimer. But that is it as I understand it. Um, if there are any rabbis, that would, <laughs> I don't know how many people were making angry with this exhibit. Um, but, you know, again, we would love to hear about it. And yes. also, congratulations on getting this far. So one of the big things, though, that we need to understand about the behemoth. Mm. It's packing. Oh, yeah, when they like, say it's the masculine energy. Like, packing. they weren't ju- Oh, so they're, ju- like, they were not kidding. Yeah. Oh. Yes. So, now, <laughs> as opposed to the Leviathan, here's the description in Job of the behemoth 
Okay. Now remember, th- this is the part where God's showing Job a bunch of animals. He's showing him an ostrich and a camel mm-hmm. and an ox and all all this stuff. Right. Um. So now he's uh, going to show him the behemoth. Okay. Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the stays of his body. He straineth his tail like a cedar. Hey, fun fact, um, the tail, it's actually a mistranslation of the word penis. Oh. Um, yes, which would have, those would have kind of been pseudonyms. Like, it would have been a euphemism. Back gotcha. Then. Gotcha. Okay. This now this this line in particular, uh, Job forty seventeen. This is where creationists believe that they are reading about a dinosaur because his tail like a cedar. His, gotcha. It, it, it you know and and pointing to dinosaurs having big tails. Oh, but they totally it, it, missed it then. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. 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 They uh they missed that one. <laughs> The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are pipes of brass. His gristles are like bars of iron. He is the beginning of the ways of God. He only that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food, and all the beasts of the field play there. He lieth under the lotus trees in the covert of the reed and fens. The lotus trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass com- The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, if the river overflow, he trembleth not. He is confident. Though the Jordan rush forth to his mouth, shall any take him by his eyes or pierce through his nose with a snare? Can thou draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Or press down his tongue with a cord? Can thou put a ring into his nose or bore his jaw through with a hook? Will he make any supplications unto thee? Or will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee that thou shouldest take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Will the bands of fishermen make a banquet of him? Will they part him among the merchants? Can thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his heads with fish spears? Lay thy hand upon him. Think upon the battle. Thou wilt do so no more. Now, this, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I knew I recognized it's it. It's Saturday Night Live featuring oh my God. the I behemoth, was like, this is the leviathan, fabulous. the ziz. <laughs> Woo! And Keenan um, Thompson. Wow, what a voice. Yeah, I... That's a hell of a description. Thank you. (laughs) Musical guests, real big fish. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's a a crazy description. (laughs) That's very funny, by the way. The fact that they Um, misunderstand the euphemism is uh, marvelous. (laughs) No, it's, it's it's so interesting. 
but it again plays up this whole thing. Uh, uh, the, the 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 Leviathan and the Behemoth are are sort of posed against yeah. each other. Um, you know, this sort of on the one hand gentle giant of the Behemoth, but it is made clear that this is also a potentially dangerous animal, a a huge, you know, um, essentially bull like creature, say, which we'll yeah. talk about in a moment. Some people interpret it as a hippopotamus because of the whole reeds passage, sure. you know? Okay. And, you know, th- I have no doubt that, you know, encountering a hippopotamus was just about the most scary thing that could happen to you in the ancient yeah. world if you were in North Africa. But, uh, yeah, this is, um, th- this is, this is kind of what we're working with. This, I think, large bull yeah, is being described I agree. Here. I would I would say so too, yeah. just based off that idea. I mean, there's a lot of other things to get him with, but you know, it's it's quick yeah. I think to grasp the ring as one yes. for me at least because it's, we're so you know like that is the the um the image of a bull having a ring through the nose and so on. But I also think yeah. there's a lot more there to give. It's it. funny to think about that being that old. I know, practice. right? I forget why that's actually a <laughs> thing though. There is a reason I just can't remember. Um. My mm. obscure knowledge will hit me one day, and I'll come back with that fact. But until then, I know there mm-hmm. was a reason why they would put um, rings in bulls' noses. But anyway, back to the behemoth. I think it's that uh-huh. would make more sense. Also, you know, because of God. I mean, how ancient of an animal that is. You know, you yeah. think of cave paintings containing auroxes and such. It's like that would. Mm-hmm. It's very practical that there are large beasts existing amongst humans at this time. Yeah, I am glad you brought up the Oryx because I'm kind of... The more that I read about the Oryx, I'm kind of more in this camp of being convinced that Mm. the Behemoth is a description of an Oryx. Interesting. Which seems to have been very significant to ancient peoples. Yeah. The Oryx is featured in cave paintings and we know of it. it if you're unfamiliar the oryx is a now extinct species of wild bovine from uh eurasia and it is the basically the ancestor of most modern cattle breeds hmm right and you know, there there seems to be different subspecies through the regions, but, you know, it seems like most most cattle in Europe, Africa, Asia, and now, you know, now that cattle are, you know, in the Americas, you know, are descendants of this ancient beast, which was, you know, said to be, by, by many accounts, a, you know, fairly, it was an herbivore but extremely dangerous to engage. You know, this is an animal that was, you know, difficult to domesticate and, you know, a a potentially very dangerous hunt. This was an enormous bovine, an enormous uh, type of uh, bull or uh or a uh, type of uh cattle right you know but but again wild this is pre-domestication um and you know the, these guys on the low end 1500 pounds Ooh. on the high end 3300 pounds jesus yeah this would 
this was an enormous, enormous animal with long, long horns. Um, you know, the, there's, you know, even like drinking horns made out of this thing. It was extremely prized through certain periods of time when it became, you know, extinct in certain parts of Europe. It was, you know, sort of considered like a, a hunt for the nobility. You know, because oh, gotcha. it was such a such a prized and sacred animal. Huh. You know, and even its markings and some of its features uh, exist today in modern cattle. Um, but, you know, interestingly, it, you know, it seems like it also came in some of the colors that we associate with modern cows, like black and red. Right. Um, but also with a stripe running down its back. Interesting. Right, right. And is that, do we know that too from like cave paintings and such? Where does that actually come from? Well, we do have cave paintings of it, but interestingly enough, the Oryx, despite being, you know, I think we think of as this very ancient primeval European beast, only went extinct in 1627. Mm, Yeah, it's rather recent. The, yeah, it's it's, it's particularly recent to think that these were still running around in Poland, you know, after the European discovery of the Americas. Wow. You yeah. know, you know, hmm. this is that that's that's so tantalizingly close. Yeah, um, in fact, <laughs> so we actually have, you know, quite a few quite a bit of a, a history and a written history in europe of this animal yeah i mean as you describe it it, i feel like it fits this category uh very well Mm -hmm. of a behemoth literally i mean imagine you're just walking around the forest and a massive bull just attacks you yeah a three thousand yeah you come across a three thousand pound bull with you know enormous horns yeah uh not not good odds if you're by yourself yeah, on that one. Move out of the way. There you go. Exactly. Um, yeah. God, yeah. I mean, it's. I remember like doing research into the RX because I watched Beasts of the Southern Wild, which if you haven't seen, mm-hmm. is a very good movie. But it, it, in a way, it's actually post-apocalyptic, but not in the in the conventional forms that we see a lot. Right. Um. But the the idea was that like it takes place in Louisiana and the ice caps are basically completely melted and it revives this you know, these older beasts and that of the, mm-hmm. the aurochs, which actually for the movie, since it's an indie movie, they used pigs and they put horns on them and it's great, but <laughs> like just, you know, low budget, but it's, it's, it's a great movie. How I recommend, but I didn't know what it was. I thought, you know, I knew it from mm-hmm. the cave paintings. I didn't know the name. Um, and then, yeah, that's when I was surprised that it, it's, it's not that old of an extinct animal. It's been around for a really long time. And it is in fact, mm-hmm. very similar to cattle in that way um and i find that that connection to humans throughout history and this relationship that we have with it across continents i mean that's which is also kind of wild to me that it stretches from eurasia to um to europe is really interesting but yeah i think i think it's like when you think of cattle you know cattle are big i don't want to underestimate how large cattle are but then there's something bigger Mm -hmm. than that walking around and that would would have been hunted but also that would have been praised in that way because you could feed quite literally a village with just one 
is yeah, kind of wild. I mean, there's there seems to be a decision of the domestication of cattle. You know, the 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 cultivation of cattle in Europe, Asia, and Africa as a way of you know sustaining people. You know, that is a very interesting agricultural technology that requires, you know, an entire lifestyle, a, yeah. an enormous amount of land. There's a lot that's been said about basically the cultivation of hoofed mammals in, you know, in, in the old world as sort of this driving idea of social hierarchy which exists across cultures in you know again europe asia and africa Mm -hmm. that your social status is tied to the number of heads of often cattle that you had uh and this even this is even tied to our contemporary idea of capitalism because it would have been in reference to how many heads of hoofed mammals you owned Mm, that's interesting Um, and and in terms of your your wealth coming from the word kaput you know head oh yeah i didn't know that yeah yeah um you know that that's that's where all of this sort of comes from and is born the the beginnings of social hierarchy because you want to be around and basically pay fealty to the person who has this food supply right right wow um and and all of this material because of just how much you, the the economy that is built around keeping hoofed mammals from you know the material goods you can make from their leather from bones from their horns uh you know their hair in the cases of sheep um the milk from uh the from the cows it's all tied up in this uh in in the in the value of that and then you contrast that with the americas where the native americans uh, you know and it would have been different depending on where you are but if they if you were one of the more western tribes it would have been more like kind of contemporary game management Hmm. you know um that they would manage a herd of bison taking what they need for food but not needing to domesticate the bison right right yeah interesting yeah and even, because you know Na- native americans all across both continents had many many species of domesticated plants yeah um but with the exception of the llama did not have the the llama and alpaca, I should say, mm. and the 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 only other mammals that were really domesticated were like guinea pigs, yeah, and uh, so, something else that uh, is escaping my mind. You know, there there, were, there was a lot of domestication going on, but the impulse was not to domesticate uh, large hoofed animals that you would have used for meat and leather because those were seen as things that you could manage from a distance and, you know, 
basically take from it as you need it, as long as the herd remains a large size. Right. Kind of like fishing in that sense, then. Yeah. Or like ancient I mean, fishing, maybe not so much now, but... Well, no, because like, well, yes, I, I, th I think you're right, because like there's a lot of unsustainable fishing practices. But even if you look at Maine, you know, as, yeah. you know, as, as a lobster, you know, <laughs> uh, as, as, as lobster fisheries, like fishermen in Maine work pretty hard to maintain the lobster population. Yeah. When they pull... I, I I only know this because I've been following a lobster fisherman on TikTok and it is fascinating. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, people are like talking to me about like, have you seen the dance trends on TikTok? <laughs> have you seen all these like hot young people, you know, dancing and, you know, doing all this stuff? And I'm like, no, sorry. I've been watching lobster yeah, fishermen. I'm on, I'm on lobster talk. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Lo lob talk. Lo nice. Um, but... You know, they when they find females with eggs, they mark their tails because not all apparently not all female lobsters become mothers. Oh, that's interesting. So you want to keep the breeders out in the wild and then you can keep the females that don't lay eggs. So if you find a female with eggs, you put a notch in her tail. And then if she's caught again, but she doesn't have eggs at that moment, you can know that she's a breeder and you will toss her back oh. and you know if the lobster's undersized throw it back if the lobster's oversized throw it back there's a very specific um you know range that they can take lobsters and in part this is why lobster is so expensive right of course but that makes you sense. know because yeah you you can't trawl for it and they're very selective about it well that's good should be that way but. yeah yeah no no this is this is a good thing this this is a long way of kind of pointing out the differences in the management of the animals that humanity would live in proximity to right and the oryx for me because of this ancient idea of it as the behemoth and then its incorporation basically into where we are now of the accumulation of wealth is so interesting yeah. to me that it's become a completely different type of monster. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, you know, I never thought of capitalism in a sense being that, well, I never thought that deeply, let me say, of capitalism being rooted that far back. Like, this, well, this idea, we, though. We want, I, we, want, we want to be careful, because this is not... This is not an era that we would associate with capitalism. No, this no, no, is... I understand. But I'm saying in this yeah. idea of then I have more goods, therefore come to me. I think we can agree yeah. in because in, in, mercantilism exists much before. I mean, capitalism is new. The idea of of capitalism is in the 1700s. I mean, it's not it's not an ancient practice, let's say. But there is this idea of and I think this goes across humanity of I own more goods. Therefore, yeah. I'm in control you know, a feudal standpoint, yeah. this idea of, of land ownership. So, you know, I can go on. But it's, yeah, it's more yeah, like, it, it's not necessarily, because I think you could say any, you know, it's the buzzword now to say capitalism is bad, clearly. Yeah. And it's too easy, in all honesty, yeah, to just is. lay the problems on that. And I, and I felt guilty of this. I think all of well, us Well, yes, it. because I, controversial take, Joe, yeah. I think the world's problems 
unfortunately began before the 1800s. Uh, yeah. I think the world had <laughs> issues before then. Nah, man, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> but but yes, it is it is a a symbol of hierarchy mm. that predates pretty much all of the systems that we are uh, familiar with. And right. in, in the same way that it is the ancestor of our cattle, it, it you know, it is mm-hmm. then also an ancestor of the systems that we now find ourselves beholden to and currently trying yeah. to reimagine and reconfigure in right. a way that is more sustainable. For me, what I'm like realizing as we're talking about it is this like how deep it goes how deep yeah. history will actually, you know, because there's this there's this look, um, even as I've been told, of where the future kind of splits, how to re-envision the future, right? Where you can go yeah. the transhuman way, where we're going to upload our consciousness to the big uplink, we're going to get 5G, and we're going to become, um, mm. you know, cyborgs in a sense, and you can move into uh-huh. this direction, or you can move into the past, and the sort of like even the, um, the post-human and post-post-human and so on, or this idea of then going to and revisiting the past to learn from older mm-hmm. practices and re-implement them. And so, I mean, personally, I fall on that one, but it is interesting yeah. to them. I, I, th- I think, I think well, I could see us in, in more of a solar punk yeah. uh, world. You and me, at least. Yeah, think, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But, I, but I think definitely the haircuts would be bomb. And the fashion. Uh, but I but I think for me, you know, in thinking of the behemoth and thinking the aurochs, this idea of capital, like I'm saying, and it's it's more of the realization of how deep this goes. And it may yeah. not be directly connected because it's too, again, simplistic to say like, well, capitalism is here. And this was actually, you know, the same idea back in the, you know, uh, 800s is a bit um, of a reach. But it's still this, this, this history of agriculture with hooved animals that has continued and has pretty much dominated the world now, especially mm-hmm. because of the Western approach and gain. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't really know where I'm going with it, but I think it's just this mm-hmm. thought process of trying to wrap one's head around a global way of yeah. organizing both food production and materials for creating things that's so deeply rooted in ancient practices but then also manipulated ones and malpracticed ones so i think it's like i don't know there's just a lot there that's so interesting i mean it could be like i mean it could have like three other tours specifically on Mm -hmm. that um but you know in yeah i don't know it's just it's it's a beast in and of itself well because like crucially like you know in some traditions like the behemoth is supposed to like provide food like interesting in in the same way that like you know you can eat the leviathan and that um you know is uh the you know a metaphor of like conquering the uh the enemies of israel you know right the the behemoth was supposed to provide food for the righteous Ah. in you know at the end of time uh interesting yeah, there's still that connection there. The, you know, the the interesting thing about like people in the Renaissance, particularly in Italy, you know, where they're or you know, what is now Italy, you know, their their whole their whole hang up about giving interest, you know, in uh, banking. Yeah. That was in part because wealth was so tied to organic things, things from nature mm. that 
your wealth was measured in your herds, your, uh, you know, your, your, your farming, and your children. And basically, it was all of these modes of reproduction. You could breed your animals, you could, uh, you could breed your plants, and you could have more children. Right. You know? And yet, when money came into the picture, they were incredibly disturbed by the idea that money, which they agreed they needed, and, you know, was a, was a revolutionary invention and thought technology. Mm-hmm. But they did not like the idea that money, which was man-made, was a, was a man-made construct, could breed more money. <laughs> Interesting. They were incredibly disturbed by that. So, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, they, they weren't disturbed enough by it that they weren't going to, you know, let the Italians and Jews do it for them so they didn't have to get their hands dirty. But, you know, European society was, you know, very, very... Uh, put off by that idea that seemed so unnatural. Right. Huh. Yeah, that's also another one to kind of wrap one's head around. It's very interesting mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it yeah. is, you know, you don't think about it, but where the older economic systems come from is very much that or this natural process of wealth. But then you have an yeah. artificial one, or I guess it's mm-hmm. more of a thought-based mm-hmm. one. And then you get into current contemporary uses of uh, currency, and then it throws everything oh. off because it's just based on the value of money. Oh, God, I, I still don't quite understand it. But yeah. it is, it's, a, it's a mess. Or you could be, you know, burying gold, um, which I, I believe oh, people God. probably still do, which is also interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> For some reason, maybe it's because I'm getting a little older, but like my targeted ads are starting to be on, on Instagram are starting to become like, you should buy gold. Wait, what? Really? Yeah, there's like, it is so funny how it's like trying to make buying gold look trendy oh. and like hip. Ah. And it's like, it's basically a subscription service for gold. Right. <laughs> where okay. you pay $50 a month until you have enough money accrued that they send you like, you know, like a a cereal piece sized oh. chunk of gold. Like oh. a gold bar the size of like a frosted flake. Um. Okay, that sounds like a weird investment, but go off. Or a scam, yeah. quite literally, because who says they're going to give <laughs> oh, you the money? Uh, what a, sc- a scam, but Joe, all you have to do is pay your pay your subscription fee yeah. and, and shipping and handling, and they let you buy gold. There you go. That's really... From them. <laughs> uh, it's only going to go up in value. Apparently. I mean, oh God, yeah, I don't understand mm-hmm yeah um but yeah this is uh yeah in, in sort of talking about these it's these three creatures this this pre-christian trinity mm. it is uh it, it's it's fascinating to kind of encounter these creatures and trying to understand what they meant to yeah. those to those people and then what they meant to later interpreters yeah it's interesting and the 
in the cross connections and then also this rich history there and what it when it can mean both it's it's in the literal sense but also in a more metaphorical one or in a you know an allegorical one too i think it's very mm-hmm. fascinating in general um nice to know yeah. about the ziz didn't know that existed so that's something that's gonna haunt me for a while and then i'm gonna oh have joe to... no the ziz does not exist oh it doesn't exist <laughs> uh, it is ziz uh... <laughs> oh that's good i like that um yeah yeah I mean, let's just hope we don't run into an actual Leviathan. I can live with the behemoth being the Aurochs. I think that's at least, like, scary enough to deal with. Could you imagine showing, like, an ancient person, you know, from from the Mediterranean, like, you know, taking them to the Pacific Northwest... You know, for, for they would be shocked for a lot of reasons. Uh, yeah, it'd be like a new uh, planet. But, you know, dropping them off in... Uh, what is now seattle and showing them an orca whale gee oh my god did you imagine no way dude freak out yeah oh god i mean like you know you you if you if you didn't know what something was and you didn't know if nobody that you knew knew what something was that's that that's how all of this starts yeah you know oftentimes do forget that i have to say because now you know sometimes it's like yeah you have to wonder like how myths and other things get started and i do in fact think that sometimes it is just because of not understanding what you're looking at but because where we live now and how we live now we can understand that it's like oh well of course it's an orca you know you haven't seen one of those before? I've been on Google, but then in that time, it'd be like, <laughs> Jesus, imagine finding that. I mean, again, it's like, you know, not to promote settlers on Maine, but it's like to think of like even Lewis and Clark going across, you know, North America must have been a mm-hmm. trip, quite both literally oh, yeah. and also just seeing things you've never seen before at all and only like rumors. Oh, yeah. No, being Ugh. like some of the first, some of the first Europeans to see bison yeah. and, you know, uh, I guess they might have seen brown bears. Yeah. On the... Well, yeah, because grizzly bears used to be so widespread in North America. We forget that as well. Yeah, that was a lot more common, right? Yeah, no, I've read a book that was talking about how, you know, grizzly bears just stretched all across the North American continent. They were in Mexico. I think that there's still a couple of places, I think, in Mexico where you can still find bears, I think. But just just even think about that as like a, you know, a southwestern animal is like a bit of a stretch to us now. Yeah, literally, I would never th- I thought that. No, yeah, I- we think we think of it as a Rocky Mountain animal. But our association of the West in the United States with nature is just because it was colonized later and mm-hmm. we still can kind of see the remnants of those things. Yeah, in fact. That- you know, were once uh, farther spread on the continent. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh man, but I think I think all in all, this was a great uh, exhibit through, um, both talking out these things and also exploring and being curious about you know, yeah, these these biblical. Um, I don't want to say biblical kaiju because that's the only word that's on my head now. <laughs> But in a way, that's kind of cool. I want to think of these. You know what? No, I want I want us to think of them as biblical kaiju. Because that's kind of what they... Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like... You know, 
Mm-hmm. That that's that's kind of where it's coming from, I guess. Yeah, in a way. I mean, it's like basically the plot of Godzilla versus Kong. If you think about the Behemoth and the Leviathan, so. So now is Pacific. Is that canon? Is Pacific Rim connected to Godzilla? No, but they use the same name. Okay. They use the same. The kaiju is what they're describing in the in the Godzilla universe. From all I know of it, which is not much, they are called kaiju because oh, it's Japanese. Okay, so kai- okay th- this is my own ignorance. I I didn't know kaiju exists as, existed as a word yeah. outside of Pacific Rim. Oh, okay. You know, no, no, kaiju is the word for monsters. I'm pretty sure in that sense. Of, of the big oh, monsters from okay, Japanese. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All right. But the Pacific Rim used it to describe it for that that point. And I think it's also the reference to gotcha, Godzilla. Gotcha, because it's Pacific Rim. Exactly. And Godzilla's from Japan, it, there which you is go. part of the Pacific Rim. Yup, you're getting it. Also, I think it's it's a Jurassic Park kind of issue again, where you have the most famous big monster movies ever. You kind of can't not make reference to it. Yeah, yeah. There's a... No one, no one wants you, you. You're only so many degrees yeah, removed. Exactly. But anyway, very, biblical kaiju. Very, very cool. I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe the Leviathan was Godzilla. I don't know. Maybe can't say no. Can't. That's a lot of fish. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, the only one man can stop the Leviathan. <laughs> Matthew Broderick. Yes, <laughs> I've seen that movie way too many times for my own good. oh god uh well this yes has been a fun trip uh into the bible uh (laughs) yes (laughs) for us um but no i mean utterly fascinating Mm -hmm. we both have our own fascination with it for our own reason for sure and if you the uh our our visitors uh, know anything else you can point us towards we would be very interested mm-hmm. in uh, finding it and learning even more about this but yeah this has been a really fun conversation um let's see what do we got going on um i have a show coming up on july 10th at the limner gallery in hudson new york Ooh, if you uh if all goes well and everybody's vaccinated, then it's going to be an actual in-person reception. Whoa. Yeah. Now, everybody uh, here at the museum better give a big round of applause to a master <gasps> of fine arts, Joe Semino. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I know I am. I am officially the master. And as my mom has been calling me the master of disguise. So there's that. Um, oh, because you're Italian? No. Disguises? No, because I just watched that movie a lot as a kid, Zan. <laughs> like, too much. What was his, his name was, like, Pistachio Yeah, Pistachio Disguise. Pistachio Disguise? Yeah, it's a whole thing. Oh, God. Yeah, just, <laughs> I can't. It lives in my memory as something else, and I will never rewatch it for that reason. Uh, but, yeah, no, <laughs> Master in Art. It's crazy, man. What a journey. Um, yeah, yeah, and congratulations to all of our other friends at mm. Studio Arts College International who graduated. Yes, yes, yes. Y'all are amazing, and yes, congratulations on your MFAs. Oh God, miss all those guys. Yeah, no, we missed you too, Zan. I promise. Um, but you just had you had your show happen though. You were a true rock star, like the Nickelback song. Um, oh yes um who can forget the (laughs) mothman's performance at the florida state fair 
which was fun. And we did have some people come to watch. I know it's during a pandemic, so you're not going to get the usual crowds you get at the state fair. Right. But, you know, there's something about getting onto a huge (laughs) stage, but you're getting on after a high school's competitive tap dancing team. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) And you're just hoping their parents stay in the audience to fill out the auditorium. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, man. Yeah. But, you know, they all want to, all the kids are, like, getting shuffled back on the bus, and the parents don't want to be there any longer. Gotcha, yeah, they're all tapped out. It was very fun, though. Thank you so much to the Florida State Fair for having us. My band is going to be uh, playing uh, some dates in late May and June. I should have those out soon. Um, what else you got going on? You got anything to plug, Joe? Mm, nothing at the moment. I mean, there's always the Midnight Drive, locatorradioprofessor.org, another work of mine. Check it out. I'll have some other works eventually happening. Now that I'm a full master in art, I should probably, like, get on that and make some new <laughs> works. So, you know, I'm, I'll stay tuned. Okay, okay. And let's see, if you want to visit the museum after hours, you can find us at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. If you'd like to follow me, I am at Xanosaurus, and my band is at Mothman Band on Instagram. Yes, be sure to follow them. They're great. Uh, and if you want to follow me, I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. From the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. Bye, dear chief. Bye. Bye.